can share the prophetic word. I submitted to the, the father of the house and my husband. I'm so proud of myself right now. Um, <laughs> I've got a word for you. I don't know who of you really feels stuck at the moment. I just see like stuck in the mud. And you know, the only difference between a rug and the gra- and a grave is the depth. So sometimes we get so stuck that we die inside. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the Lord is challenging me, and He wants to challenge you this morning to start dreaming again. If we don't have a dream, we don't see things. We can't have faith, and we can't move forward. Um, Proverbs say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what do you think about? What do you dream? What do you think? So please, if you're stuck in a rug, if you, I've got four boys and I'm always worried about one of them. So what, what do I dream for my boy? What is that that I, that I pray for him, that I prophesy over him? What is that which you dream for your life? What do you pray for your life? What, prof, what do you prophesy over your life? So please, have some coffee, have a nice meal, sit with the Lord and say, Lord, what are we going to dream about in this difficult situation? Amen. Good morning. So, I guess I'm a lot Afrikaans, and I'm going to do it in Afrikaans, and then I'm going to go to your mother. I'm a lot Afrikaans, I come from Delmas and Mapumalanga, and it's a boerengemeenskap. So ek het in Engels, ek het Engelse familie en ek het met hulle groot geword en um, terwijl ons die afgelopen 10 jaar in Delmas was, het, het Engel, ons, ons praat Engels uit self-defense uit. Okay, so, so this morning when I minister to you in English, please forgive me if I make any mistakes. So Wilco and Kunzel, that is there in the back, I just want to honor you and your team for inviting us to minister this morning. It's a privilege. Um, on the other side of things, Wilka has moaned for the last, how long have you been here? Six years for us to come. It's very difficult. I'm a workhorse, so I'm, I'm always at church. Sunday is the best day of the week. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Um, I live for a Sunday because that's when we see God moving. That's when we see God plundering he- hell and, and populating heaven. And that's what I live for. So, just to give you some background, me and my wife has been married for almost 20 years now. Um, I know I'd look much younger than, um, you see where he got his side. Um, I'm, I know I look much younger than, than you would say, but I'm 46 now. Um, I'm, I'm according, to, according to Google, I'm part of the Gen X generation that... Huh? Yeah, it's the guys that work hard and that did not grow up with the internet. <laughs> uh, but I love the internet and I love technology. We have four boys, one 17, one 15, one 11, and one 8, 9, 9, 9, 9. Yeah. Um, they keep their mother very busy um, and they protect her with everything they can. I've been... I've been saved since 1995. I'm not the normal pastor that you would ever see because I have a great passion for the lost. 
since the day that I, I got saved in, 19, in June of 1995. That's the only burden that's on my heart, is, is, is seeing the lost saved. And then God thought it well to put me in a congregation and part of the leadership of a congregation in a small town. <laughs> so um, you can't make an altar call every Sunday because you know the people, you know who are saved and who's not saved and all that, but I do it in any way. So um, I, have a, I have a word that, I, I have a prophetic word that I want to share with the congregation, for you as a congregation. In Haggai 2 verse 7, he says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. On Wednesday, on Wednesday morning, afternoon, when we got off the plane, when I put my feet on, on, on KZN ground, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying that He's going to use this congregation to heal the land. That where you put your feet... God will heal. And as I was driving around here in, in the area and the vicinity, I know, I saw that your, that your area needs a lot of healing. And are you, I'm going to ask you this question, are you part of the healing? Are you part of the, of the what is oplosing? <laughs> are you part of the solution and not the problem? And that's a, that's a question that you can only answer in your heart. It's a question that puts you on a team and not a solo, a, a Han Solo guy. Okay. And, and as, I, as I sat with the Lord this morning, I just sensed the Lord saying that the, the former glory will look like nothing in this place for the glory coming that God has for this congregation. And I promise you that this congregation will grow to greater glory in, in the future. Now, this young man sitting in front of me, I've known him a long time. And he said that I, I must finish at 10 o'clock. I'm sorry, you're going to sit here a little bit longer than 10 o'clock this morning. Um, because I have a, a lengthy, urgent word that I want to share with the church. I shared this with my congregation as well. Because I think, I, I believe in my heart that this is a word in, in season and in time for where we live. And um, as we're speaking of generations, there's a lot of generations present here. There's baby boomers, there's uh, Generation X, which I'm part of, there's millennials, there's Gen Z, I think, and huh? oh, whatever. So, so just, a, just a quick discussion about it. So I have an example for, for my generation. When you walk into a door and you, 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 you hit something, you just oh, walk it off. The millennials are the guys that, that is a little bit more sensitive. They get hurt a little bit easier, and they blame the door for being there. The, the Gen Zs, I think, are the guys that will blame the door and try and take it out. But they will get the Gen Xs, who am I, that I am, I'm a workhorse, I'm part of that generation, to, do, to get the job done. Okay, so I'm not judgmental because in my house, there's all of them. Okay, it's me, my wife, and my children. They're part of that, except for, I think my wife's a millennial. 
Yes. In any case, so in, in today's culture, and today I want to speak, I, I want to minister a word to you that, that, that I titled um, Walking in Truth, Living in Grace. So I'm going to speak to you from the book of Daniel. Um, if you have your Bible, you can, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. Um, and the whole book of Daniel has 12 chapters. The first six, six chapters is stories from the life of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and he reigned, uh, or, or he was in Babylon, taken away as a, as a bond slave to, to Babylon in the time of Nebuchadnezzar I. Now, you'll see in the book, there's, they speak of Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar, I think, I hope. Hmm? Yeah, what? That guy, yeah. So, in the book, Daniel was about 14 years old when he was taken away from Jerusalem, from, his, from the Chaldeans. And he died at approximately, the, the theologians re recollect, and they say it's about 90 years old. He lived in about three kings' reign, over three kings' reign in that time. So the stories are very confusing if you don't know it, but the first six chapters are stories. The second, second, uh, the second part, the, the last chapters, are prophetic words for, for the world to come. The book of Daniel is, is for the Old Testament what Revelation is for the New Testament. It speaks of end-time events. Now I'm not a I'm not an eschological guy. I don't I I don't preach about the end times. I don't like all the theories that's out there of the end times. But what I do like is looking at the world we're living in, because we're all part of the world, and we can all sit here and see all the problems. But I'm the kind of guy that says this is the problems. Let's find the solution to the situation. And this morning I want to minister to you about this, how do we live in a culture going haywire? Because when I, when I was these guys' age, around about approximately, I, was, I lived in the 80s. So I know you think I'm old, and I am probably to most of you, but I, live, I grew up in the 80s. The world was different. In the 90s, it was different. Somewhere cell phones came out. Do you remember those kind of things? All of you know them. You, don't, you never li lived without them. And it feels like we're heading down a downward spiral in the world and something, wow, it's so great, let's go. You see, Daniel lived in a similar setting in a culture that he didn't know. And this morning I want to talk to you about that. So the book of Daniel also, also shows what happens to an to a people and a nation that rejects God. They are taken away into exile. Babylon in that time is the modern... One to six. I know it's a lot. I'm going to try and read as fast in English as I can. Okay. You can read it in your own time as well. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand 
with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Azpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish and good appearance, skillful in, in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, and Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. I want you to focus on the name Aspenaz. He was the guy who taught the young guys the ways of the Chaldeans. But he was to teach them and indoctrinate them in the ways of, of the Babylonians. So what happens, we have to understand the times we live in. We have to understand that culture has an agenda. There's a spirit behind the culture of the day. Now there's two spirits in the world. I know you would disagree and you would say there's a lot of demons flying around. Let's not talk about them. There's two main spirits in the world. It's the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world who is the devil and who has a plan for the culture that we live in. But how do we circumnavigate the times we live in? How do we circ circumnavigate the days that we live in? Days are crazy, man. The days that I lived in was completely different. If somebody didn't agree with you, you take him behind the toilet, slap him a few, and all would be well. These days, if you do it, you'll end up, you'll end up in jail. Isn't that true? In the days that I grew up in, if I was out of order, my dad would take me to the bathroom. And he would not put me under the, under the shower. He would clean me in a different manner. If you do that today, it could get in trouble. I'm speak, uh, my wife uh, has a brother that lives in America, and if you speak to them, you can't, you can't, be, you can't spank your children. You'll land up in jail because children have more rights than the parents. And I don't know, to, and I don't know about you, but it doesn't make sense. And our world that we're living in doesn't make sense always. You see, Daniel and his friends, when they, when they went to Babylon, they got new names. You have a name that you live by. Do you know your name? Do you know the meaning of your name? My name's Marius. It means mighty man of valor. Warlike. So please speak to my wife and pray for her afterwards. Because that's exactly how I live. I don't mind a fight. The thing is, you have a name and you live by that name. There's something that you believe of yourself that is either the truth or a lie. You see, the thing is, which one do you believe about yourself? What culture says you are 
what God says who you are. What do you believe? It's easy to believe what culture says. How you should live, how you should look, how you should do, what you should eat, what you should drink. You see, in verse 7 of chapter 1, it says, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel, he called Balthasar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay, so Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. Balthasar, Balthasar means lady protect the king. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Shadrach means I am fearful of God. Mishael, who, who is what God says, Meshach, I am despised, detestable, and humiliated. Azariah, Yahweh is my helper. Abednego, servant of Nebo. You see what culture does? It wants to change your name. It wants to change your identity. It wants to take you away from what God says about you. It wants you to believe something of yourself that is not true. You see, it's easy to, to follow culture. You know the, do you know the story of the, of the Canadian salmon? You know the story that they, when they are born, they do swim downstream, and when they when when they are um, when they are adults, can't get to the English words. They go back to their spawning grounds, but they swim upstream, and there's all kind of kinds of dangers that they face: bears, everything that wants to eat them. You see. I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you willing to just go downstream where it's easy? Or are you willing to swim upstream to be in truth even though it might cost your life? You see, the devil, if you don't write the story with God, the devil will write a report about you that is not true. You see, I have a shirt on. We all have clothes on and they have labels. And I, I can't remember what this label says, but it's, it's an identikit to where and what the shirt came from. We all have labels. And the label is either what God says or the label is what culture dictates you to be today. I'm saying, you can, you can tell me in second Marius, but you can judge. You cannot judge me. I will never judge you. I'm not the type of person. If you know my story, you will know why I will not judge. So, I got saved at nine, 18 years of age. Before that, if you can think it, I did it. Literally. And I did it in, in extreme forms. So the fact of the matter is I got saved. And then and there I decided I will never be what people says I am. Because they want to, the culture wants to perverse everything about you. Following, I want to say, if culture shifts, you must know who you are. 
And culture is shifting the whole time. You see, we can, we can think culture is not shifting. If you, if you look at America at this moment, it's shifting the whole time. You know what happens to our country? It comes through to South Africa. I see more young, I live in a small town, but everybody wants to be like the Europeans or the Americans. They want to do the same things. And there's craziness going on, on there. I'm going to ask you this. Do you understand who you are? Because you are who God says you are. In Daniel 1 verse 8, it's, uh, Daniel says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile with himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. You see, the thing is, when culture says go that way, you can ask permission to do something else. Culture will ask you to compromise your standards the whole time. They will not ask you to, to compromise who you are. They will demand compromise from you. And this morning I want to I want to set this clear, that God's standards that He set in His Word is not against you. So the, word, the Bible says that God is for you, not against you. You see, the thing is, His will and His law and His Word, we always think, how can it be that God's Word is so strict? God's Word is not strict. He is a loving Father that gives us a path to walk on. My, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, I think, is, is Psalms 119, verse 105. I hope I, I say it correctly. His word is a light to my feet and a lamp unto my path. And you know what? If you know the Jewish lamps, it was a thing that you held in your hand. You had to protect the flame because it was a wick that was placed into olive oil. And they had to circumnavigate their path. And that light will never show you three kilometers before you. It will always show you the step that you have to take next. See, God's law, God's word is not against us. It's for us. He wants us to walk in it. And he knows that our culture is completely out of whack. And he wants us and to guide us through his Holy Spirit to circumnavigate us through culture. You see, and verse 9 and 10 from Daniel 1 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief and the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. You see, this guy was afraid. But Daniel said, trust me. He said to him in verse 12, he says, test your servants. God gave Daniel favor in the culture where he lived. The culture was directly going in another direction than Daniel's faith, where he came from. You see, the thing is, 
He made him, they wanted to make him eat food that was offered to their gods. What was, what was against their dietary laws of the days. They wanted to, to feed him that. And they said, no, not going to do it. He said, bring us vegetables and water. So I probably presume, he said, bring us chicken. Some of you caught the joke. I'm so glad. That's a thing in Delma, say. Chicken is like vegetables and salad. Red meat is meat. Okay. Fish? We're not going to talk about that today. You see, God gave Daniel favor. But Daniel said, test me. Test. He said, come on. Bring it on. And after 10 days, if you know the story, they looked at the, the, the four young men and they said, they look better than the others. You know what wine will do? Alcohol will do. You know what alcohol does? It makes you red in the face. If you drink too much and for too long elongated periods, it makes you look worse than you should naturally look. And listen here. God's law is never against you, it's for you. But I want to say this to you this morning, that that was the first of many tests in Daniel's life. Your test and my test will be tests of our faith in the days to come, in the years and the, and, and the times to come. Because culture creates confrontation through testing the whole time. Culture always creates confrontation. Whom of you in this room loves confrontation or likes confrontation or does not mind confrontation? Okay, there's not just one honest person. The rest we will drive out that lying spirit. Um, you don't like confrontation? No, I know you don't. So I don't mind it. I don't like it, but I don't mind it. You see, your faith will always be tested. What is your faith built on? And I've learned through the last 20 odd years that I've been serving the Lord that the only thing that my faith can be built on is the truth. And the truth is the Word of God. Let me ask you this question before I go on. Do you believe everything that's in the Bible? Do you believe everything? Everything. Without a doubt. Okay, so let me give you an example. I was, I, I was serving the Lord for about a year Oddly, I, I, I read the word, I love the world. And, and, and there somewhere, in, I think it was in Matthew chapter 5, 6 or 7, somewhere it says, when somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. You've read that scripture. Okay, so this is the story. So one evening, I, I, I was one of five kids in the house, five children, four boys, one sister. <clears throat> and one evening, me and my brother, one brother got into a fight. And he slapped me on the right cheek. He slapped me that I saw stars. My cheek was burning and throbbing. And I'm standing there and saying, Lord, what do I do now? And the only thing that comes up in my mind is turn the other cheek. So I turned the other cheek. And he slapped me again. Throbbing on both sides. I thought, the Bible has no answer to this now. So I hit him back. I did what the Bible says 
And I wasn't, a, I wasn't going to turn my, my one cheek again because it was still throbbing in red. And I know it's not right. I probably should have ducked the third, the second or the third time, but I hit him back. He got a fist that evening. Um, <laughs> you see, do you believe everything in the Bible? Are you willing to love the Lord? Are you prepared to love Him in the times that's coming? It's already worse enough, but are you willing to love Him in the time to come? You see, there's a, there's a movement in, church, in some churches that says, we love the Lord, but we love people more. We will make it comfortable for everybody, and we will never speak to somebody's sin. Oh, Marius, you said that three-letter word, sin. See, sin is the one thing that came into the world that there's an answer for, and his name is Jesus. Because he died for everybody's sin. Listen, I will never judge anybody because I did everything that people can think of. And for most of you, probably had your life. You did everything. You know what I learned through the years? That God will never condemn me, will love me back to purpose the whole time. But as Jesus said to most people in the Bible, I will heal you, I will correct you, I will love you back to purpose, but don't go sin anymore. See, that's the thing. And because of so much sin in the world, culture is driven by sin. It's driven by a spirit that does not want us as a church. That does not want you as a spirit-filled, faith-filled person. Your faith will be tested. But we must respond properly when culture shifts. Daniel stand firm in his faith. And we can speak about Daniel one way he said, Test us. He prayed three times a day, and because he prayed three times a day and didn't bend his knee before an idol, he was thrown into a lion's den. Listen, I don't know about you. I'm not willing to face hungry lions. But culture is like hungry lions waiting to eat you up. His friends, because of their faith, was thrown into a fiery furnace. You know what's the most amazing scripture of that, of that part? When they got out, everybody always focuses on the, the angel or Jesus or God or whoever they said it was in the furnace with them. It's an amazing part. But when they get out of the furnace, the word says they did not even smell of fire. See, the thing is, if you are willing to stand in your faith, firmly grounded in the word of God, the world and its stench and its smell will not even touch you. But it's a decision that you as a person have to make. I've made mine. Some of you sitting here have made yours already. But some of you have not made your choice yet. If you play with mud, you will get dirty. But there's always water to clean you up. You see, in today's culture, people are putting the Bible aside because they call it an old relic of a book. It's amazing that the old relic of a book 
is more than 2,000 years still going strong. And we cannot turn the Word of God. This is one thing that I, be, I, will, I will love to see people say about me, that I never diluted the Word. Never. Because it's God's breathed Word. You know, it's amazing. When Jewish men, when young men like this come to, to, to the temple to pray and to hear the Word, the young ones are fed with a, with a, a, a droplet of, 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 of honey. Did you know that? In the biblical times, the priest would give them a drop, uh, a, let's call it a spoonful for our times, a spoonful of honey to show young men growing up that the Word of God is sweet and never bitter. It's an amazing picture, hey? So, Jesus, Daniel, was firm in his belief and faith in his generation. And he never, in the, in the few years that he lived in Babylon, diluted it. Jesus was fully holy. And just in the time where he lived, he never compromised. He never compromised the word. He never diluted it. And guess what? People loved him and accepted him for that. You see, John 1.14 says, And the word, of God, word, of, word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only one Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was filled to capacity with grace and truth. What is God's truth? It's God's standard. What is God's standard? It is his word. Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. Culture changes. People listen. Culture changes the whole time, but God never does. Grace is God's favor. It's a gift. It's a free gift. This morning I want to say this. Nothing can qualify you for heaven except the grace of God. Because according to God's standard, according to His truth, none of us would make it. But for grace. So I don't know whom of you know the Doppers, the Reformed Church. We call them in Afrikaans the Dopper Church. They have the saying, it's only by the grace of God, brother. And that's the truth, because it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. In Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, For by the grace you have been, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not by your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one can boast. I want to say this. It does, I, don't, I don't care how you grew up. I don't care in what church you grew up. God doesn't care about it. He doesn't even really care. Forgive me for this, Wilco. In what church you are now. Because nothing you can do will save you. No amount of going to church will save you. It's through faith, by the grace of God, that we as people are saved. Let me ask you a direct question. Have you embraced His grace through faith in your life? Without truth, we are corrupt. We are rotten. Without mercy, we are condemned. Without mercy, 
uh, without grace, we are condemned. You cannot do enough to be saved. Without truth, we become worldly. Without grace, we are condemned. Truth without mercy is cruel. Did you know that? Truth without mercy is so cruel. But grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace together is good medicine. It's the right medicine that is administered to us as people. See, grace invites us to be free. Truth sets us free. We have to embrace that in a time and culture that is heading in the wrong direction. We cannot only live on the truth. I know the truth, brother, and the truth will set me free. The truth will set you free, will, will set you free, but without grace, you will not be able to live free. That's why I, I said this morning as I opened, we have to live in truth and walk in grace. Because it's something that we as people accept. But what do we do with people around us? Brother, that you're doing is sin. Whom of you have ever got, gotten saved by somebody saying, showing your sin out? None that I know of. But it's the truth plus grace that sets us free. In, in John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell the story. The Pharisees find a woman that is caught, caught in adultery. <clears throat> and they pull her out of the house. It's, it's amazing that they didn't bring out the guy that was in the same room with the lady. But they brought out the lady in any case, and they, and they brought her in front, and they tested Jesus. They wanted to set him up for failure. You know, culture will set you up for failure all the time. And the culture of the day came before Jesus, and they said, you call yourself a rabbi and whatever, you're a, you're a great guy, you know the law. What does the law dictate must we do to this Lady, you know what the law dictated in that time? She must be stoned because she was caught in adultery. I still wonder where the guy was, though. I still wonder. Because nothing was to be done to him. It was probably a Pharisee himself. You see, and, he, and they threw the lady in front of Jesus and says, this is what happened. What do you say? And Jesus disconnects from the conversation. He goes on his knees and he starts writing in the, in the ground. And everybody always wants to figure out what he wrote in the sand. Have you heard those kind of things? It doesn't matter. He could have drawn a smiley face for all I care. He disengaged from the conversation. And the moment he got up, he engaged the conversation again. And his, and his answer was truth and grace mixed together. He said, you who are without sin... Take up the first stone and throw it. How many times, let me ask you a personal question. How many times have we as people thrown stones at other people? If you throw a stone at me because of my sin, I will not speak to you again. Because you're bringing the truth, but there's no grace. And he said, you who are without sin... Take up the stone and throw it, and he disengages from the conversation. 
You see what happens to us as people. We want to stay engaged in the conversation the whole time because we want to be right. We want to give the answers. We never disengage to ask God for wisdom in the moment that we need. We need God's wisdom in every situation. And he got up again. Turned to the lady. The other people were probably gone. The men were gone. The stones were probably taken away or thrown down on the ground. And, the la- and he looked to this, this, this lady and he says, Where is your accusers now? She says, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and Jesus looks at him and he says, I don't judge you, but go and sin no more. You know what grace and truth combined does? It brings healing to a situation and life transformation that we cannot describe. Let me ask you this question. Will you stand firmly in in truth and in grace in a culture that does not want you? It's trying to reject you with all that it can. Will you stand with me, please? So we are confronted daily with a culture. And we must decide daily to uphold truth in that culture. I want to ask you to close your eyes. Thank you so much. This morning, I want to ask you this question. Have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? Have you made a decision? Luke 14, in the book of Luke, Luke writes and he says, tell you the cost of serving Christ. When you, when you buy a house and you fix it up, there's a cost that you tell you to do that. When you buy a car that is broken, you tell you the cost. When you marry a, a lady or a man, it's, there's a cost that you account for that it's going to be. This morning I want to ask you, will you tell you the cost of serving Christ in a culture that we live in that we will never be able to change, but that we will be able to circumnavigate through by the power of His Word and the power of His Holy Spirit. So this morning I ask you again, my first question is, have you made a decision for Jesus Christ? And this morning I want to urgently ask you, if you have never made a decision for Jesus Christ, will you just there where you are? The Holy Spirit is convicting you, not me. His Word is... Is, is in your heart and you know that you are not saved at this moment but you have the desire to give your life over to Christ will you just raise your hand there where you are just quickly raise your hand thank you, thank you, thank you for your hands thank you for your hands and remember this, it's not an easy thing to raise your hand so this is the question everybody that raised their hands Will you do me the next favor? Will you just walk out into the front, please? Just walk out. There where you are. Nobody's going to look at you. Nobody will judge you. This church, I probably everybody has done it in my church. Everybody that is getting saved walks to the front. Just honor you for coming to the front. If there's anybody else, please don't, don't stand in the back. 
just come to the front. Do you have a ministry team? Can I call the ministry team out to just to stand with, with everybody here, please? Just, just come stand with them. This morning when we worshipped, I sensed two things. They're they going to stand here. I'll, I'll get to you just now. I sensed two things. I sensed the Holy Spirit showing me somebody in the building that has a problem with your pancreas. I had to go Google where pancreas sit. I don't even know where it was. Is there somebody in the, in the building that has been diagnosed with something wrong in their pancreas? Or pain, I think it's around about here. Constant pain in your abdomen, yeah? If it's you, I want to pray with you. It's gnawing at you. It doesn't, it's not painful all the time, but there's pain from time to time that you experience. Is jy pain het in your pancreas? Jy net vanaf jou hand vir my opsteek nie. Baie dankie, Tani. Will you please come out? You're not going to give your heart to the Lord again. It's just on this one side. The next thing that I sense the Holy Spirit showing me is there's something that somebody that goes to sleep in the evening and your ear has a your right ear has a constant noise in it. Like a little hum in your ear the whole time. And it's so bad that you can't sleep at night. And it's not every night, it's just from time to time. Where are you? Are you oh that? Is there anybody that has sore feet? Not, not just tired feet, but you have sore feet. Some, sometimes through the day, it burns your feet. Both of them starts burning. Is there anybody? Rod, you can just... I actually remember your name. Um, you can just stand here. We will pray for you now. Just with your eyes closed. So I'm going to ask the ministry team, will you, will you come in front? Young man... Have you visited this church? Okay, it's your first time. Have you been here before? Okay, great. There's a calling on your life. You're walking through the streets and you're thinking, what do I need? What do I, what, why am I here for? You're saying in your, in your inner conversation, what am I doing here? What, where am I going? What's happening with me? God is calling you. There's a call on your life to serve Him with fire. And this morning, when I stood there in the back, I knew you had to come to the front because the Spirit of God is calling you and you've been, you've been, you've been feeling that urgency for the last couple of weeks and months already. So I want to congratulate you for coming out. So the ministry team, will you stand in front of them? I know, Wilco, so you all know how to, to lead people to the Lord. Will you pray with them and lead them to the Lord, please? So what I'm going to ask is... Um, Pancreas, rod with your feet. Um, 